This podcast is brought to you by Pickleball Coaching International. If you teach pickleball or want to get started, PCI now offers pickleball instructor certification. And since level one is 100% online, it's perfect to do when you want and where you want. You don't have to travel anywhere to do it. PCI instructor certification is thorough, practical, and systematic. I should know. I built it. It'll help you to become a better coach. And when you become a member of PCI, you get access to more than 70 high-impact videos, audio, sample lesson plans, insurance, and more. Check out all the details at PCIPickleball.com. Hey, Jay, it's Mark. Hey, what's up, man? How are you? I am doing okay, thanks. How are you doing? I'm doing okay as well. Yeah, so a lot going on for you lately. Oh, man, understatement, brother. Understatement. Hi there, it's Mark from Third Shot Sports. Welcome to Pickleball Problems. Today on the show, I speak with Jay Gizmo Hall. Jay is one of the most recognizable people in the pickleball world between his mismatched pickleball shoes, his neon tights, his wild and crazy sunglasses. He's got a pretty good pickleball game too. One of the reasons I really wanted to speak to him was to talk about his advocacy work that he's doing to help to expand the reach that pickleball has to communities that often don't get to experience pickleball the way that some of us might. Jay really wears his heart on his sleeve. I think you're going to really enjoy this conversation. So sit back, relax, and let's welcome Mr. Gizmo Hall. Mr. J. Gizmo Hall, welcome to Pickleball Problems. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be on the show. So in case anyone is not quite familiar with you yet, or maybe they've seen you in passing, um, maybe you can give us, like, would you say you could give us the two-minute rundown on who is, I'll, I'll go by the name that we see on social media, who is Gizmo Hall? What is he doing in pickleball? And like, like, what's your thing in pickleball? What's your, what's your involvement look like these days? All right. So Gizmo Hall is a uh, pickleballer out of uh, the Virginia area that's been playing just over two years. Two 70-year-old ladies introduced me to the sport. I was a firefighter paramedic uh, for about 10 years before uh, quitting my job after only playing pickleball for about six months to chase this crazy dream to become a professional pickleball player and change kids' lives. Um, I currently travel all over the United States uh, playing in pickleball tournaments uh, kind of with, with the rest of everybody. We're kind of like a big road crew, you know, like, um, like a traveling circus, you know. Uh, and I, my wife and I, we actually own Pickleball Farm in Virginia, and we are in the process of forming a nonprofit and getting uh, roughly eight courts here built uh, to try to do a bunch of kids' stuff here. So kids is definitely my passion. I do motivational speaking at uh, schools. Uh, I'm all about pouring in positivity. Um, I guess that's pretty much what you can sum it up with. That is a that is a nice tight bio. I like it. Um, and this is one of the, the the things I really find interesting about you and what you're doing, and it's so, somewhat different uh, from what we often see. Is you know very often when we think about pickleball, of course, there's a stereotype of the older players, and even if we get past that stereotype, we often think of people playing pickleball, but people who are adults. And of course, your focus, and you mentioned it a couple of times now, really is on on kids and youth playing. And, I'm wondering if you can say something about why is that? Why is that uh, that demographic and area, like a group of people that you wanted to target when it comes to your pickleball work? Sure, for sure. So I, I mean, just speaking from my own experiences, I mean, I remember when I was a youth and I didn't have a positive role model or somebody to look up to. Um, and I know what it was like to not have that. So I want to, and I know what trouble I got into um, as a misguided youth. So I want to try to be the liaison, if you will, to give kids, disadvantaged kids, uh, race aside, you know, um, the opportunity to, you know, it's not baseball, it's not football, you know, it's, it's another sport that you can play. And, yeah, you know, the average age of the sport is, is the senior citizen age, but, you know, pickleball is one of the only sports under eight to over every, under eight to over 80, it's for everybody. Um, and, you know, if we're talking about longevity of the sport and, and truly growing it, I mean, growing it at the grassroots level, to me, is the most important. Um, it, it just, you know, because if we, wanted, if we wanted to keep going, 
you know, teaching the youth is what we've got to do, you know. Right. And I mean, you mentioned it briefly here, and I know you've been very, uh, you've been vocal in the past about your upbringing and the connection you have with the kind of childhood that you had and growing up, you know, into being an adult and that connection with what you're doing now. And I'm wondering if you can say a little bit about um, maybe what is the potential you see? Like why pickleball? Why not? Why not other sports that you more often see like in communities where, you know, kids are hanging out or whatever. What is it about pickleball that provides some opportunity? Yeah. So for me, you know, the word that sticks out is exposure or lack thereof. I mean, I lived on this earth for 31 years and I had never heard of pickleball. Um, you know, I wasn't that good at basketball. You know, I played junior varsity, uh, I rode the bench in varsity probably because I just needed an extra body on the team. Uh, you know, I, I, I didn't play any high level sports whatsoever in my life, but you know, I, I tended to have to, to try to fit in because that's what everybody else was doing. Um, and that's kind of something else that I, 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 I preach now is just individuality. Like you don't have to do something just to fit in just because your friends are doing it. You know, um, I never played a racket sport a day in my life, but once I started playing pickleball, I don't, honestly, I don't care if my friends play it or not. I, I'm still going to play pickleball. You know, I'm not going to let them uh, sway, you know, what I'm doing. Um, and I mean, and kids, especially nowadays, you know, with the power of influence, you know, the, the more positive influence you can provide for them, uh, the less space that allows for negative influences to creep in. Hey there, it's Mark. I want to give a special shout out to our friends at Selkirk Sport. Selkirk makes pickleball's best paddles and their customer service is awesome. Personally, I'm fond of the Invicta paddle because I love the extra reach it gives me without compromising forgivability. But whether you go with the Invicta or prefer one of their other models like the S2, the Epic, or the Omni, Selkirk definitely makes a paddle that's right for you. You can find them at thirdshotsports.com paddles or at selkirk.com. Selkirk Sport. We are Pickleball. Well, and speaking of, of standing out, right, and you're someone, if anyone's been at any of the major pickleball tournaments or in the Virginia area or all over because you do so much traveling, I mean, one of the reasons that you stand out uh, is your wardrobe, right? It's, it is it is very flamboyant, as I say. You can see it from a long way away. Uh, the neon colors, the cheeseburger logo, the mismatched shoes, the bright tights. I've even seen you out there on the court with a cape on. Um, and so, you know, that's one of the reasons that you stand out in the pickleball world is the clothes that you choose to wear. One of the other reasons is that you're a person of color. And I think that most of us, when we go around and play pickleball experience, that most of the people who play pickleball um, are not people of color. And I'm wondering, um, I mean, it sometimes it can be a, a difficult conversation to have. I'm wondering um, about what that's like, what that's like being a prominent person in a sport that is not prominently people of color. Uh, it, uh, you know, to say that it, let me see, I, I don't try to think about it in that manner, you know, um, just, I mean, that's just my first initial reaction to the question. Um, but also you've got to be real and I mean, facts are facts, you know, um, and there's, I can probably count on both hands the amount of competitors uh you know that are of the non-white descent at a lot of major tournaments so you know and, and it's not just one tournament in one locality it's as it travels around you know it's the numbers are few and far between you know um now what i will say is it's tough to say that it's just, you know, exclusivity because I also think of like pickleball as a country club sport, you know, um, just like tennis and stuff like that. Uh, many people who actually nobody who grew up in my neighborhood had access to a country club. I mean, it's, it just wasn't in the cards. It, it's just 
reality of what it was, you know. So so we wouldn't have gotten that exposure to the sport, which is why I said it took me 31 years to even hear about this sport. Um, and this is, I mean, it kind of branches off into why I pushed the, into the youth because, you know, a lot of the disadvantaged youth are of the non-white ethnicity. And I feel like by taking the game to their community and getting them involved and showing them how much fun it is that it can, you know, potentially largely diversify uh, the demographic of the sport as a whole. And I mean, wouldn't we say, couldn't, couldn't we agree that that's one of the, uh, the benefits of, of growing the sport, you know, for everybody? Right. So it's not that there's anything, there's anything inherently white about pickleball. It has more to do with the ability for everyone to be able to have access, to have experience, to be able to try out, right? To have like kids instead of like you mentioned before, instead of, you know, there's basketball courts over here. Okay, well, how great would it be if there's basketball courts over here and right beside it there is pickleball courts, right? And access to equipment that people can use. And so, um, so is that really kind of the driver with the work that you're doing is say like, hey, how can we, how can we just give as many people access to this great sport that we all love? but make sure that that access is sort of, if not like equally distributed everywhere, at least like starting to move in that direction. Uh, change starts with us. I mean, we can sit back and Monday morning quarterback it all day long, but change effectively starts with us. Um, so me personally, um, I like to, you know, hook up with different people around the country where I'm going. And if we can get, you know, a kid's clinic set up, uh, you know, I'll do kid, free kids clinics. Uh, when I was at the Atlanta Fall Classic last year, uh, I drove, I don't think it was like 45 minutes to an hour away from the venue to the west side of Atlanta. And uh, one of the guys in the area had, you know, invited a bunch of kids out. I mean, we had like 30 kids out there, uh, you know, parents out there. We had stuff on the grill, playing pickleball. I mean, there's, I've got the video of it uh, on all my social media. But the, the and this is, this is what really hurts. I mentioned it multiple times to different people at the tournament. Um, and there was a guy and his wife, uh, you know, the guy said, you know, oh, Gizmo, you're doing that. I, you know, I want to come help. And I told him where it was. Um, and his wife was, was like, oh, oh no, 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 we, we don't go on, we don't go on that side of town. We don't, you know, and it's just like, like, like what? And I mean, we're not even like going in the hood. I mean, we were at uh, McGee tennis center, like a, a legit tennis center. <laughs> so, so you so by in you know, we were over there. It was over thirty people there. The only non-black person that was there was my wife. Like that, do you know how embarrassing that was? Like you got how many top pros in the pickleball community, in you know in one general locale? And again, I'm not bashing them because this is youth is on my heart. You know what I'm saying? This is my vision. This is you know. So, but do you know how much more it could have meant to have one or two more pros go, you know, especially of that, that don't look like those little kids come, you know, uh, interact with them, have fun with them, play pickleball with them. Do you know how, like, do you know how much that could have meant to those kids? Like, it's, uh, I, again, I can't fault them because that may not be their vision. They may be channeling their vision in other avenues that I just don't see. And, and that's cool. It's not for me to judge, but I definitely see a lot of missed opportunities to spread the word pickleball to non-white communities, demographic, if you will, you know, and, and I say non-white because there's, it's not just white and black, you know, it's, you know, you, you got your Hispanics, you got, you know, your mixed race, um, you know, individuals. Like, but, but race doesn't, it's irrelevant. It should be irrelevant, rather. Right. And then, I mean, this leads to a, a broader discussion that's been going on um, outside of the pickleball world right now, right, which has to do with equity and people having access and everyone having sort of a fair shot um, at opportunities. And I think you know, what we're talking about now, which sort of stems from discussions that we've 
been having online lately is that, you know, whether we're talking about um, something big, like let's say opportunity in life, or we're talking about uh, smaller, more precise issues, such as access to pickleball courts, opportunities for learn to play clinics that are affordable, access to equipment so everyone can get out there, that um, not everyone has the same kind of opportunities as everyone else. And I hear what you're saying about, um, you know, especially when we think about how exciting it can be for people who watch pickleball or who see it sometimes online and they see their heroes that are out there and sure, you know, Gizmo is one of their heroes out there, but other people as well that they're seeing on the podiums, winning medals, that sort of thing, um, you know, might be uh, a good opportunity for, you know, upcoming pickleball players uh, to be able to kind of have that proximity. And we see that all the time uh, in other communities. And, and it's a tough, it's a, it's a tough nut to crack. And it's a problem that we're, we're facing here. Um, what do you think, you know, if, if you were to wave your magic wand, uh, maybe you have a magic wand underneath that cave, I don't know. Uh, but if you were to wave your magic wand and make some changes to, to pickleball, let's say in general, or to the structure of pickleball or to clinics or to kind of the direction that you see different organizations going, I'm wondering what you think. Um, you would do with that magic wand? What kinds of changes that you would like to see? I want to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, Jigsaw Health. Jigsaw Health is the official hydration and recovery partner of Third Shot Sports. We've got lots of great products, but one of my favorites is the Electrolyte Supreme. I mix it with water when I'm on the court coaching and playing, and I find it both gives me that extra boost I need and helps to prevent cramping. My personal favorite flavor is Berrylicious. But if you're a lemon-lime person, that's okay, too. You can learn more at JigsawHealth.com. And if you do make a purchase, be sure to use my promo code, PB3SS10. That's PB3SS10. It'll save you $10 off your order and show some love to our show. Jigsaw Health. It's fun to feel good. You know, if if you were to wave your magic wand, uh, maybe you have a magic wand underneath that cave. I don't know. Uh, but if you were to wave your magic wand and make some changes to to pickleball, let's say in general, or to the structure of pickleball, or to clinics, or to kind of the direction that you see different organizations going, I'm wondering what you think um, you would do with that magic wand. What kinds of changes that you would like to see? Oof. Um, I mean, that, that's a, that's a, a big vision with a very broad scope on it. Um, because I mean, I do consider pickleball for all, you know, um, I get it, you know, it costs to build courts. Like, I mean, you know, courts, outdoor dedicated courts. I mean, I've seen numbers, you know, 10 grand and up and I get it. Everybody doesn't have access to that. Um, you know, I would personally would like to see, um, you know, us band together as a pickleball community um, and maybe maybe even not redirect our efforts. But, you know, everybody wants to kind of get pickleball in the Olympics, uh, which, again, that's, that's neither here nor there. But I guess there's certain requirements that it has to be, you know, accessible to X amount of percentage of countries around the world to p potentially qualify as a um, as an Olympic sport. Um, now, now, and then that's that's awesome. Now, what if that same energy was kept on introducing pickleball or spreading pickleball into the disadvantaged youth um, or disadvantaged um, areas, neighborhoods, uh, school districts, if you will, um, I mean, what, what would that look like, you know? Um, again, I know as a kid I got into some trouble, and I can honestly say that if I had learned pickleball at a young age, 
I probably wouldn't have gotten into as much trouble as I did. Um, pickleball is addictive. Any, you talk to any pickleball player that you know, um, they'll tell you just everybody's got an addiction story. Um, they just love it. Um, I mean, it, it's, it's, it just provides an out for people who, who, don't, who may not have an out otherwise. Um, you know, I'd love to see schools, uh, you know, all gym floors, like they've already had the gym floor, you know, local pickleball communities, you know, donating nets, donating tape, donating their time to go in and teach um, the kids, uh, you know, just, just pour into the, um, the demographic that we're missing. I, I mean, I feel like it's a, it's, it's just, it's just a huge discrepancy, you know. Um, I spoke in middle school, uh, and every time I go, I take nets. I leave the nets there, two, three nets at a time. I leave paddles there. Um, I leave balls there. I leave tape there. I, you know, I tell them that to use me as a resource, like whatever y'all need to help push, push and promote pickleball to anybody inside this school, you've got me, and I'm an indispensable resource. So I went to one school two times. This assistant um, superintendent of middle schools for the county caught wind of it. I went and had a meeting with him. He said, I want you to, because I also motivation to speak to the kids. And he said, I want, he said, I'll put you in front of any kids, as many kids as you want. And I said, no, no, no. I want you to put me in front of all of your kids. So I, I was set right before COVID happened to start going to all 16 middle schools in this district teaching pickleball, donating nets, balls, you know, working with the teachers to get after-school programs started. Um, and then he wanted me to, uh, in the, the fall, there's a big state conference. He wanted me to present at the state conference for all of the uh, PE teachers in the state so that they can then go back and take pickleball back to their respective schools. So at that point, you are taking race out of it. Because anybody under that school supervision is now getting access to pickleball. Mm. And I guess, I mean, that's a nice example to highlight uh, not just the work that you do, but really when one person kind of dedicates their time and their effort and their energy to it and their commitment to it, I mean, one person can make a pretty big difference. And I guess, you know, what I heard you saying earlier was imagine if we as a larger pickleball community start to really prioritize expanding the number of people that get involved in pickleball and expanding the groups of people that get involved, how much sort of exponential power that could have. I mean, it's, it's like a domino effect. I mean, I feel like, you know, uh, people get behind good hearted gestures, um, you know, and I feel like people can see that introducing pickleball to the youth is a good gesture, you know. I had a lady send me a check the other day. She said she wanted to make an anonymous donation for $500 for me building these courts at Pickleball Farm. I've met this lady maybe one or two times, you know, but how long would it have taken me? Because I'm, I'm going on the Facebook marketplace, getting free wood. I bought a wood splitter. I'm splitting it. I'm going to sell it, and I'm going to use those funds to build the course here. She saw, she saw the vision and got behind it. Again, I met her once or twice. She sent me a check for $500 and doesn't even want to be like, recognized for it. Now, how long would it have taken me to make that $500? Bucks, you know? And that goes to speak to, you know, what if we band together to really, like, blow this thing out of the water as far as exposing everybody to pickleball? So I wonder, you know, hearing that, hearing that story, um, you know, I wonder to what extent it's kind of like a, a vicious circle, right, where, as you say, people, when they are exposed to good work and important projects, uh, that many of them will then find ways to get behind it. And whether it's like this woman who donated the money, or whether it's people who donate their time or their expertise. Um, now, one of the challenges then is just making people aware of the project, making people aware of the problem that they're trying to solve. And I think, you know, partly back to this connection of, okay, when we look at the demographics of pickleball players, we see like it's very heavily white people playing. And we know that there are very often people who live 
you know, in communities where they don't see people who don't look like them as often. I'm wondering whether um, part of the problem comes from just people it not even being on the radar as an issue, right? That they're not seeing that, hey, there's this problem that we can maybe try to solve. Hey, there's this good deed that could happen. Because if you're not exposed to people who live different lives than you do, or you're not exposed to the people that don't have access to the same facilities you do, then, then you don't even recognize that this is an issue worth addressing. Correct, correct. And I do believe that that train of thought can be split up into two different subsets, if you will. There's the person who just truly may be oblivious to the fact because, you know, they truly don't base anybody on color and are, you know, um, naively um, subconsciously not thinking about it. So, you know, I almost can't fault them to, to a degree, you know, because again, if you, if you don't know, then how can you, uh, you know, be at fault? But then there's the other side where it's like, uh, you know, people who, I believe people who aren't directly affected by an issue believe that that issue doesn't exist. And I personally don't feel that that is a fair assessment, especially to the person who the discrimination or exclusion is happening too, you know. Um, it's like the thing being protested will never be happy with how the protestors are protesting. Does that make sense? I think it does. And, you know, we spoke earlier how this conversation today came out of uh, some online conversations that were happening. And I know, um, you know, specifically it was about uh, – or at least one of the threads had to do with racism in pickleball. And it was like, I was quite, I, I sort of expected when I saw those comments coming in, I kind of expected that, um, you know, it could get heated. What I didn't expect, what surprised me was how often the answer I saw was like, it doesn't happen. There is no racism in pickleball. Pickleball is a game everyone can play. There's no racism in pickleball. I've never seen it. Therefore, it doesn't exist. Seemed to be the kind of logic that that was certainly not always being used. But it, and I I I don't think I was surprised that you saw it at all. Um, but to me, in in these particular threads, I was surprised at how often uh, I saw white people just dismissing racism as not a thing that goes on in pickleball, as though somehow pickleball was shielded from the racism that exists in the culture at large. Yeah, so, I mean, can can you and I agree that th this is an imperfect world we live in? I, th I think we can agree on that. Okay. Can, can we also agree that there are forms of racism that exist to this day of June 22nd, 2020? I think we can agree on that, too. Okay. And can the last one, can you agree that racism of today may not look like the racism of the 1960s or prior? I think that, that yeah, I would agree that uh, it can take different, different shapes and different forms and be less overt uh, compared to how it might have been in the past. Okay. So, I mean, so at least we're there logically. So, so my, and here's, I say that to say this. If we can say that there's racism in the world and the people that play pickleball are the same people that live in the world, um, how can one be so quick to just dismiss that without a shadow of a doubt, unapologetically, with, I mean, just unequivocally, absolutely, it is not possible. It doesn't happen. It it just no it just ain't like how how is how 
wait, wait, wait. But that's, are we talking about the same people? You know, <laughs> but it's like, it's the same. Not all people in the world are racist. And not all people in pickleball are racist. But, uh, like, if there's some of the same people, like, how, I, I, I don't, maybe you can explain it for me more. I, I don't know. Yeah, what I thought was, um, you know, as part of this conversation that went on, uh, Kim Sharpton uh, posted a video that that I found just really took me aback, and um, I'll link to it. I'll include the video in the show notes here for this podcast. But one of the things that Kim, uh, who's also a black man, talked about was um, he talked about how much he loves pickleball, how much he loves the pickleball community, and he talked about um, how many friends he has in this pickleball world. And for him, he said, look, like, if I'm your friend and I'm telling you that this thing is happening to me, even if you haven't seen it yourself, but yet we're friends, like, won't you at least listen to me? Won't you give me the benefit of the doubt that it's happening? And then, you know, ask me more about it and look into it. And I think, you know, he was sort of taken aback as well um, about how often, you know, claims that discrimination exists get just kind of like the conversation gets shut down, right? No, it doesn't happen here. No, it doesn't happen with me. No, I've never seen it. And what he was trying to appeal to was like, okay, whether or not you've seen it, uh, whether or not you're aware that you've seen it, if I'm telling you, someone who is your friend, if I'm telling you that this is the thing that goes on, um, it really hurts when it just gets dismissed because you don't think you've seen it. Hi there, it's Mark again. Are you a pickleball coach? Would you like to be one? Pickleball Coaching International now offers pickleball instructor certification. It takes a thorough, systematic approach to coaching pickleball. And like our show here at Pickleball Problems, it's full of straightforward, practical resources to help you coach better. And I designed the whole thing. And did you know that level one certification is 100% online? It's true. That means no costly or inconvenient travel for you, and you can work at your own pace. PCI instructor certification also comes with liability insurance, so you'll have peace of mind when you're on the court. For more information on Pickleball Coaching International's Level 1 certification program, head over to PCIPickleball.com. Pickleball Coaching International, helping good coaches get better. If I'm telling you that this is the thing that goes on, um, it really hurts when it just gets dismissed because you don't think you've seen it. When I watched that interview, I cried like a baby. And I've got no problems admitting that. Um, you know, and I big hats, hats off to Kim Sharpton for even being mature enough to to be able to compose his thoughts well enough to be able to express it to the masses. Um, seriously, I mean that, that that takes a lot, you know. Um, and, and and to his point, like you or like you said, if if you are my friend, which I think is a word that gets thrown completely out of context, uh, like the word love, you know, people just throw it around, and I feel like it's kind of diminish the true meaning of the word but if for you know we'll go with it if, if you are my friend or you you know you say that you are my friend I tell you I am your friend like you said if, if I tell you something hurts like how can you be so quick to just deny it and shut it down without even remotely asking me any more questions about who, what, when, where, and why, at a bare minimum. Like, just, just as a friend. Like, if I tell you I wrecked my motorcycle, if I call you, Mark, hey, man, I wrecked my motorcycle, uh, are you, are you going to be like, hey, you ain't wrecked your motorcycle, man, stop playing. 
or you're gonna be <laughs> like, man, you are, are you, are you all right? Like, do you need, you know, did, are you at the hospital? Like, do you need a ride? Do you, you know, like, what can I do to help you fix this problem? Because you are my friend, and I want to help my friend. Because that's what friends do. I mean, right. yeah. is, that a yeah. good, is that a good analogy? Yeah, I mean, I had, uh, you know, I was also moved by that video and um, and watched it a few times, and I encourage anyone else to watch it in its entirety. And like I said, we'll, we'll post it below. I guess one of the things, you know, I'm trying to, you know, when we have these conversations and we, we put this podcast together, sometimes I try to put myself in the shoes of who I think our listeners are. And I realize we have, you know, different kinds of listeners who come from different perspectives. But I'm wondering if some of our listeners are thinking to themselves, like, well, no, like racism or prejudice might happen in other places, but doesn't happen where I am. We have people who have, you know, look all sorts of different ways to come and play at my courts. And like, I've never seen, I've never seen an instance of racism on our pickleball courts. I'm wondering if you'd be willing to share, um, you know, for, for the benefit of our listeners, uh, like what might that look like? Like, are there examples of, and like you said earlier, it's like, okay, well maybe it's not as overt as, sorry, you can't play here. Um, as it may have been, you know, when you were talking about decades ago, how uh, overt racism was just sort of par for the course. Um, but the more subtle ways that that it might show itself and the more subtle ways that people who, if they weren't actively looking for it or if they weren't on the receiving end of it themselves, the kinds of things that they might start to see now and be like, oh, wait a second, like that's an example of it. Are there any sort of, of the more subtle examples you can give, either ones that um, you've encountered yourself or sort of like uh, either on a pickleball court or off pickleball court or do you know what I mean? Can you help yeah, to, yeah, yeah. to kind of guide our listeners a little bit about what they might see? For sure. Yeah, I don't um, – I, I, I personally don't like speaking on other people's experiences because I feel like they can be like the game of telephone and, and can get kind of convoluted. So, you know, I like speaking from uh, personal experiences. Um, so, you know, I can at least count back, recall three times where I've walked into a place to play pickleball or, you know, a gym – and I walk up to the place to pay my fee, and they're like, you know, hello, can I help you? And I was like, I'm here to play pickleball. And I'm a good body language reader. Like, you know, I try to pay attention to my surroundings and stuff like that. Like, you know, you can, you can, when you can see like disgust or, or angst or just like, wait, what? Like, you're here to play what? Like, no. And, and it's just like, I, I got to convince you, like, no, like, I have a paddle in my backpack. Uh, like, my shirt says pickleball. I, I don't I don't understand why it's so uh, odd or striking you is so odd that I'm here to play pickleball. Um, and she literally said, oh, there's, there's just not a lot of black people that come play. Yeah. Why, why, would, why would you say that? how is that even relevant? Like, what, what does the color of my skin have to do with anything? I am a paying customer walking into your facility to, uh, and, and you sit there and tell me that, oh, not a lot of black people, you know, come here to play. You, you can't do that. You shouldn't do that, rather. Um, right. It's, it's sort of, it's sort of, um, it like reinforces that stereotype, right? Of like, this is for certain people to play and not others. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I've been, I mean, I would say that that is the most blatant, um, the most egregious, if you will, um, uh, um, occurrence. But, you know, I've been walking at tournaments and people come up to me, they're like, hey man, you from Jamaica? And it's just like, no, I live in Virginia. <laughs> and I've had that four or five times. And it's just like the first time it was just like, oh, okay, maybe because the dreadlocks, but it's just like, like, is every black person from Jamaica? Like every black person with dreadlocks? Uh, you know, I, uh, again, it, it's not so 
noticeable, but to say that it doesn't hurt a little bit would be a lot. Right. And I think, is it also, is it also fair to say that, um, like in those, those two examples that you gave, like you're having to deal with comments from other people, from strangers often, um, that white people just don't have to deal with in the pickleball world. Right. Like this is an additional thing. Like, oh, wait. And this is something that Kim Sharpton talks about as well. He's like that sort of surprise. Wait a second. You're here for pickleball. Like, shouldn't you be at the basketball courts over there? Right. And, you know, if we're talking about how pickleball is supposed to be like a welcoming sport and it's accessible to everyone. I mean, that that sort of surprise that someone would be showing up or like possibly even disbelief that they're here for that. Um, I think sort of runs counter to that idea that pickleball is like something for everybody. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but I've got to, I try to chalk it up as just another hump that I need to crush. Like I'm not going to go around it. Like I just need to knock it down. It's just another barrier standing in my way. You know, it's not my fault, but it's my responsibility to try to make it better, which is why I try to spread the game of pickleball to anybody I can. You know, I've been at concerts and people are like, I mean, I, I only wear my cheeseburger stuff everywhere I go. And people are like, oh, what's pickleball? And I mean, at a concert, I'm like front row, but I'm, I'm showing videos and stuff of pickleball. I don't care what color you are. Like exposure is, is, is what my main goal is to those that don't know about pickleball. Right. And I guess, I mean, you know, this whole conversation about, about pickleball expanding, being welcoming for everyone, I mean, it, it can go in a few different directions, right? One is this social justice direction, right? Where it's like, no, like, you know, we want everyone to have a fair shake. We want everyone to have access, uh, no matter what community you come from, no matter what your background is. We could also go in another direction, which is, hey, we talk about spreading the pickleball love. We talk about growing the game. And I wonder if sometimes what we're, um, what we may be talking about or some people in the community pickleball are talking about is like, well, yeah, expanding the game in certain places, but not even the trying to expand it into other places, right? Which is something you talked about a little bit, touched on with that example in Atlanta. To me, the third example we could talk about, I mean, if I'm a, if I'm someone who is involved in the pickleball business and whether I'm someone who is a paddle manufacturer, whether I'm someone who is making pickleball shoes, whether I'm someone who makes pickleballs, whether I'm someone who makes nets, whether I'm someone who provides pickleball lessons. I mean, I can see nothing but good things happening if we can expand the market of pickleball players, right? By expanding the demographics of the people who feel like they're welcome and who see themselves uh, you know, when they're watching the YouTube clips or they're watching the TV when they have the big tournaments who see themselves reflected up there. That seems from even just like a business perspective, um, it seems like a smart move to want to expand those markets. Yeah. Um, then there's also the other side of the coin, which I'm not saying is right, but as a business, you know, you look at buying power, um, uh, and, you know, let's, if there's not a lot of non-white players that play pickleball, that means that the, the monetary revenue is, is not largely in part not coming from the non-white community. So, again, as a business, why would you want to invest resources in something that's not helping your bottom dollar? You know, it's... <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and it's tricky, right? Because what we're doing by, you know, sort of going down this line is we're, um, we're blending both uh, class and race, right? Like if what we're, if we're talking about is, okay, well, if there's a community over here that we want to expand, accept as a, as a, as a community, let's say there's not going to be as much buying power. They're not going to be spent dropping $150 on a new paddle. They're not going to be doing that. Then, Hey, let's invest our, our time and energy elsewhere. Right. And so, so yeah, it does get a little bit trickier when we um, combine uh, class and race, although class and race um, 
<laughs> are often combined. Um, yeah, it's, it's a it's an interesting problem, and I, I think also you know as we look at pickleball expanding um, on a global level, right? You mentioned earlier how there's you know certain factions of the pickleball world trying to get things get pickleball considered as Olympic sport. I personally think that's a long way off, and I'm kind of with you. I'm neither here nor there, but it's certainly not going to get off the ground until it actually becomes an international sport, right? Played internationally. Um, in many different countries and not just here and there in small pockets, but in the mainstream. And so I think there's a lot of work to do there to, um, to start to make, to make it a game where people can look, I think, I think this is a huge part of it, right? And we see this in other sports as well. When people are looking for their heroes, when they're looking at the top, when they're looking at what's broadcast on the networks, when they show pickleball or what's broadcast on YouTube is like seeing themselves reflected in what they're watching. And I think that is something that it sounds like you're doing a lot, um, working with kids, going to schools, not just on the pickleball court, but doing those talks. I think to me, it sounds like um, that's a real step in the right direction. It might be a small step and a step that, you know, one person is taking or a handful of people. I mean, you mentioned other people in Atlanta, there's coach Clark in Atlanta um, as well, who's really active, but I think it's really important, you know, pickleball as a whole benefits when people like you are doing that kind of work. For sure. And I mean, you know, when I was in elementary school, I, I specifically remember we had a motivational speaker come in and he was a Washington Redskins football player. This guy looked nothing like me. This guy had no stories that I could relate to. This guy yeah, did not make the connection. And, you know, it's so important especially at the youth level, you have got to make that connection because that connection is the foundation. If you don't make that connection, that youth is gone. Like, they will disconnect. So I literally sat there, and he, he told me I can be the best I want to be. I can do anything I want, blah, 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 blah. But I had already checked out once he started talking because I'm like, you – have not walked through my shoes. And I'm not saying that your shoes aren't worn out from your walk, but I can't relate to your walk. Um, and the thing that I try to do when I go to schools to speak to children is, you know, I don't put a shirt and tie on. I go straight cheeseburgered up, glasses, hat, hair up, mismatched shoes, all that. But from the time that I walked through that door, I got those kids' attention. You know what I'm saying? Like, they are like, Who's, who is this? What's this guy about? Look at, look at this guy. What, what, did, what? And then, you know, I break it down even further to, to show them like, yo, I, like I am, or I was in that exact same seat that y'all are in, you know, I barely see sixth grade. I had 26 referrals, seventh grade. I got expelled after 22, you know, uh, I've graduated high school with a 1.2 GPA, you know, like I, I shouldn't probably shouldn't have graduated, but again, like I have real uh, tangible uh, points that that they can relate to because again, I'm in the same neighborhood or the same area, um, the same type of environment, the same demographic of the schools that that I went to, so I know what they are going through. So you know, I'm not sitting there reading them a story of Jimmy John down the street, you know, like dog, I've been shot four times. Like, I'm missing a finger. Like, I got a titanium rod in my leg. But I say all that to say this, like, yo, you set your mind to it and you grind, anything is possible. You know, I'm not just, I'm not just sitting there waving my finger like, yeah, you know, little Johnny, just, just keep trying. You can do it. No, no, no. I'm perfect picture of absolute failure and utter chaos, rock bottom still grinding, grinding, and, and able to come out on top, you know? And I feel like I make the connection with the youth of any color much better than uh, somebody who comes in, like, like I said, that motivational speaker when I was in elementary school, you know? Right. And, yeah, I have, I have no doubt that you capture their attention when you walk into the school. And, hey, um, we're coming up to the end of our chat right now. If you happen to capture the attention of some of our listeners and they want to learn more about what you're doing or get in contact or 
who knows, help build that pickleball farm. Uh, what are the best ways that people can find out what you are doing? A uh, man, you could probably just send a carrier pigeon with a picture of a cheeseburger and it'll probably find its way <laughs> to me, man. I ain't even lying. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm all, I'm all over every social media platform. I usually, I really don't use Twitter, but uh, Facebook, Gizmo Pickleball. We also have Pickleball Farm. Um, YouTube, Gizmo Pickleball. Um, appreciate any of the, you know, any new subscribers for sure. Um, I upload matches and, you know, I commentate different matches. Uh, Instagram, Gizmo Pickleball, Pickleball Farm, uh, or GizmoPickleball.com, you know. All right, it's all over the place. And, yeah, and we'll link to all of those in our show notes as well so people can find out about you and get in touch if they want to. And uh, Jay Gizmo Hall, I'm really happy. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me. And I know um, these are not always easy issues. Uh, to talk about, but I think they're important, and I really appreciate you uh, going through some of them with me. Well, I mean, from I, I you know, I thank you from myself and from the, I will say the 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 minority community. I we appreciate you for even wanting to have these conversations because just having these conversations is what can truly affect change. So, you know, we, we appreciate you, Mark. All right. Well, we'll keep the conversation going. Uh, and uh, I, hope, I hope to talk to you soon. I hope to see you soon in person when, we can find, when the Canada-U.S. border finally gets opened. Um, but uh, until then, I'll be watching you on, uh, on all the social media as well. P- really appreciate awesome. it, Jay. Awesome, man. Have a great day. All right. Take care. You too. And we'll leave it there. I want to say a special thanks to Gizmo Hall for joining me to have this conversation. Not always a comfortable one, but an important one nonetheless. I want to thank you for joining us as well. Check the show notes here. We posted all of the links so you can get in contact with Jay if you want to talk to him about what he's doing at Pickleball Farm, what he's doing in schools. You can see his social media. So just check those show notes. You'll be able to find everything to get in touch with him. All right. Until next time, stay safe out there and we'll see you soon. Thank you.